wanted to start off with a little, uh, a little fun today. Um, we're going to play a little game. And I, we probably should like call people up here and have contestants and all. We're not going to do that. You just play, play along at home. Uh, play along in your seats. Play along at home. Uh, we're going to play a game called Name That Fruit. I thought maybe we could. Yeah, okay. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, you know, I had all sorts of thoughts that uh, we could have some little game show music and we would, uh, you know, have the prices right coming. We don't need to do all that. But I have some, uh, uh, some, well, they're probably some, some fruit. Maybe you'll know some of these. Maybe you won't. Maybe they are exotic. Maybe you are all into all of the exotic fruit and you're gonna, you're gonna get, uh, get them all. Uh, if you do, you'll get a million points. Because I don't have any prizes, but points are free and I can give away as many points as we want. So a thousand points apiece. Keep score on your own. If you win, great. Uh, if you don't, great. And we're just going to have fun. So here's the first one. Here we go. There's a picture. And then you have three options. Is it a pumpkin berry, a mangosteen, or a pling apple? We got one vote for apple over here. Um, we don't have to yell it out loud. Just, uh, you know, decide in your mind what you think it is. Survey says that is a mangosteen. There we go. Anybody, anybody, uh, you're, you're 100% so far? Okay, good. All right, we're there. Good. Uh, next one is snake fruit, apple melon, or pine berry. Snake fruit, apple melon, or pine berry. Survey says that's a snake fruit. A snake fruit. Also known as salak. I'm sure you knew that already. It actually is a species of palm tree. All right, next one is a... What? It was already up there? They just know it. Pentamelon, juicy fruit, star fruit. It's definitely juicy fruit, I think, right? Because... Next one, here it is. Yeah, star fruit. Good. Uh, some of you were aware of that. Are we, we got any 100% so far? Don't brag. Come on. What you, no. Okay, next one. You'll, you'll know this one too. Flower apple, rose fruit, or dragon fruit. I've seen these at Walmart. Dragon fruit. They're pretty cool though. Pretty awesome. Okay, next one. Spikeberry, lychee, or blossoms. I, I think blossoms, I think we're stretching for. I, I think we can probably eliminate that one, right? Lychee, that's right. Those are uh, from southern China. I don't know if you knew that or not, or if you've traveled. Next one is Manuka, Indian apples, or Santol? The answer, please, Santol, also known as cotton fruit. Uh, Okay, next one. Brain fruit, bread fruit, sponge fruit. It is indeed bread fruit. There we go. Uh, next one, water apple, pepper apple, cherry apple. It's some kind of apple. What kind of apple you say? Water apple. It did look like a, and it isn't in the cherry family, but it is known as the water apple. Next one, maybe you'll get an orange apple, a persimmon, or a zuber. I really want it to be zuber because that would be a cool little name, but it is a persimmon this, I, I don't know, anybody eating, I don't know that I've ever had a persimmon, but you probably have, I'm sure, yeah. Okay, I think we have just one more. Is this a durian, a jackfruit, or a pinealope? It is a durian. This is uh, native to Borneo or Sumatra. They say they can grow up to a foot long and are considered to be the smelliest fruit in the world. 
What do they smell like, you ask? Thank you. I'm glad you asked that. They smell like, uh, some have described it as rotten onions, turpentine, or raw sewage. This is... This is the durian. So uh, I don't know if we have any, if anybody brought any durian dishes for the picnic today, um, I will probably avoid them uh, if that's the case. All right, that's, that's our game. Thank you for playing. Name that fruit. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Uh, all right. Thank you. I digress. Most of you probably don't buy those uh, every week, right? Uh, maybe you do, maybe some of them, I don't know. You, some of them you can't even get around here, or you have to go to a specialty grocery store uh, to do that. They grow in certain places, in certain climates, in ter- certain types of soil. They need certain special nutrients, and they are planted and cultivated and carefully uh, carefully cultivated in order to produce exactly what you saw up there, some, some pretty great fruit. Well, most of them great, right? Uh, this is the uh, the last message in this series, rooted using that metaphor of nature to uh, to highlight spiritual truths. And we we just saw in the video uh, um, as they read through uh, the Psalm one uh, one more time, this using this picture of a a strong, vibrant tree to show us or give us a, an image of what a a righteous person looks like. In previous weeks, we've seen that, that the soil of our heart, heart needs to be right and needs to be good. And so then, uh, the, uh, the, we're open to the seed of the Word of God being planted there so it can be planted and grow. And, and if we, if we do that, then our spiritual lives can, uh, can be cultivated and, and we need that environment in order to grow. And, and then our, our, our lives can be like that tree in Psalm 1, planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. The goal of the word of God being planted in our hearts is the same as with any garden. We want it to produce. We're looking toward the fruit. Another way to say that is it's all about the harvest. Now this time of year, we, uh, we're probably not harvesting anything yet. Maybe, maybe you have your garden in. I talked to a few people today who have just gotten theirs in. Um, maybe you have over the last couple of weeks. You don't want to do it too soon around here or everything freezes. Um, and so, but, but we're, we're not, we're not seeing the harvest. We're, we're anticipating or envisioning, I guess we could say. We're envisioning the harvest, right? Uh, we're, we're, we, we can see in our mind's eye big, plump, juicy tomatoes or, or peppers or cucumbers or, or green beans or whatever you've planted. Then, then you're, you're planting that with a purpose that hopefully in a few weeks or months we're, you're going to have the produce. People have told me that, uh, that our house is built on what used to be a pickle farm. I'm not sure that's true because you can't grow pickles. I, you grow cucumbers and then you pickle them. Is that right? I mean, I think I know that's, that's how that works, right? So you don't grow pickles, you go grow cucumbers and then you, but, but still there's, there, there was a goal, this certain type of cucumber that they planted in that field, uh, uh, either right at or right near our house there on the land that was that farm. Uh, there, there's, uh, there, there's certain cucumbers that they would plant, uh, and they had a specific, very specific goal in mind. Not only the cucumbers that it was going to produce, but then what they were going to make from those cucumbers and how they would sell them and, and send them and eat them and all the things. The pickles were, were the, the, the produce. They were the goal. They were what were being envisioned when they first planted that field every year. 
when we plant something, we want it to grow, and then we want it to produce a harvest of what we've planted. So in early June, we just can envision the harvest. But then there's a lot that we have to do along the way in order to make that vision a reality, right? And a lot of people, present company excluded, I'm sure, a lot of people don't always keep up with the weeding and the watering and the fertilizing and all the things, and so maybe the harvest doesn't quite turn out the way you had envisioned at first. See, when you, when you plant a seed, the potential is huge. Everything needed to produce a bumper crop is right there in that little seed, It's a lot like what we experience when we come to God. When the seed of his word is planted in our hearts, everything is there to produce a righteous person. As as I told you last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit. When we come to faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit and his power is within us and the potential is enormous. And one big thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives is produce fruit. Maybe you've heard that uh, passage, these, these uh, agricultural passages uh, uh, and, and metaphors are all through scripture because it was a, an agricultural society uh, at the time that, uh, that most of scripture was written. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit that the spirit wants to grow in us. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if you say yes to Jesus and you commit your life to following him, the Holy Spirit is planted within you and then he wants to produce his fruit in your life. The potential of every single one of those character qualities is present in the life of every person who believes in and has committed their lives to Christ. All of these things should be growing and developing in the lives of everyone who has the Holy Spirit. But they have to be exercised and honed and grown and practiced. We must constantly give the Spirit access to our lives, as we said last week, keeping in step with him so that he can continue to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in and through our lives. If, If that fruit is seen in your life, if, if you are that kind of person, people will see that there's something different about you. You'll be, you'll be recognized as a follower of Jesus. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The Spirit produces good fruit, but it's possible to not follow the Spirit, and therefore to produce not-so-good fruit. In, in Galatians 5, uh, you know, that passage there, and, and a lot of people have heard that, and it's pretty common, and you probably heard it before you walked in here today, the fruit of the Spirit and the list and all the things. Leading up to that in, in Galatians 5, if you, if you uh, uh, have your Bible app and you scroll up a, 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 a few verses, you see a list of not-so-good fruit, the fruit that is, that is uh, produced by lives that are, that are not filled with the Spirit. Beginning in verse 19 of Galatians 5, the acts of the flesh are obvious. 
Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's quite a list. I think it's interesting that that a couple of things that, that we might consider minor, like jealousy or discord or selfish ambition, are in the same list with some things that we might consider biggies like sexual immorality, debauchery, and orgies, right? I mean, you've got, you've got this whole range, and yet God says all of these things are just produced by people without the Spirit. If you're not living by the Spirit, anything goes. If, if you don't have a moral guide, you're capable of just about anything. And, and if we pull this back into the realm of, of planting and growing and harvesting, you can, you can see the weeds that can come up and cause all sorts of trouble. You can also recognize weeds from the good fruit and the, the, the crops that are supposed to be produced. You can, be, you can recognize, you can be identified by the fruit that you produce. So still in Galatians, uh, Galatians 5 gives the, the, the list of what we produce when we don't have the Spirit. Then it gives the list of what the Spirit produces in our lives. And then in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 9, it, uh, it, it goes on and, and talks about uh, uh, the, uh, the, the issues of what we can cultivate. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So maybe it goes without saying, I hope, but if a, per- if a person plants apple trees, they're going to reap apples. Yes, we're- you guys are just, mm, it's great. If, if you plant a strawberry patch, you're going to reap strawberries. If you plant a durian tree, you're going to grow the stinkiest fruit in the world, right? I mean, it, it, you, you reap what you sow. This is, you know, God's not telling us anything new here in Galatians chapter 6. We, we understand that. What you plant is what you're, what you're going to produce. So pulling it into the realm of spirituality, if you sow evil and sin in your life and in the lives around you, you will reap evil consequences in return. If we want to reap godly things in our, harvest godly things in our lives, that's what we sow and plant and cultivate. The potential has been planted within us. The, the Holy Spirit wants to produce his fruit. And so we have to get rid of the habits, the people, the influences that are limiting the work of the Spirit in our lives. It, it, it's not easy. As this verse says, you might get tired. <laughs> but, but don't give up. Because you will reap a harvest of the fruit of the Spirit in your life if you work hard. It, you're, not, you're not producing. We, we, we said a couple weeks ago, you can't make something grow, but you can make the environment where God can make it grow in you and through you. And you will reap a harvest of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So, so the harvest, we've, we've planted, we've cultivated, we've grown, we've nurtured, we've seen the Spirit plant himself. We're talking about the, the, the harvest is about the fruit that we produce. 
But it, I, I don't want us to stop right there because, because it, it's not just about developing holy qualities in our lives. I, I, I mean, that's important. We, we need to do that. We need to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We need those things in our lives. They're, they're developing in our lives, uh, and, and we want that to, to, uh, to, to happen. But there's more to, uh, more to fruit than just admiring it at the end of the summer, right? We go out and go, yep, we grew what we wanted to grow. There it is. Looks great. Tomatoes on the, on the stalk. There's some beans. Everything is awesome. There's even a pickle. Wait a minute. No, there's a cucumber that's going to be of course, it's, you know, we're, we're going to pick those, we're going to eat them, all, and that's great, and it gives nourishment and, and, and nutrients to, to those that, that we give them away. It's, it's a great, great thing, but, but, but there's even more than, than that, because fruit has a purpose. Fruit is the primary way that plants reproduce. Fruit is the primary way that plants reproduce themselves. The, the seeds are there in the, in the fruit. So when, when Jesus talked about a harvest, he, he wasn't just referring to righteous living. Righteous living is, is a key component and, and has, to, has to be a part of our lives as followers of Jesus. But, but Jesus is also referring to a harvest of souls for his kingdom. When we live our lives for God, when we're keeping in step with the Spirit, one of our motivations is to plant more seed, right? To, to, to see the Spirit grow and develop more people. Reproduction, spreading the word, is a key component of producing fruit. It's part of the harvest. Jesus talked about the harvest in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus' ministry consisted primarily of three things we see here, uh, uh, teaching, preaching, and healing. Uh, he would teach in the synagogues about the truths of the Old Testament. He would, he would preach about the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, and then he would heal people. And, and the people around him were, were primarily focused on the last one, the healing, right? They wanted to be healed in the moment. But as Jesus walked with people and, and met them and, and, and touched them and blessed them, he saw them for who they were and what they really needed They needed his word planted within them. They needed the Holy Spirit to guide and empower them. Matthew 9 says that Jesus envisioned a harvest when he saw the crowds. So I wonder, do you see the crowds? Are you envisioning a harvest? Is it front of mind for you that reproduction is a key part of following Jesus? Jesus saw the crowds, a couple reasons why, I think, that maybe we miss. Jesus saw the crowds, first of all, because he was looking. I think that kind of makes sense, but we will not see the crowds and their needs if we're not looking. 
And I'm sure I'm not the only one who gets tunnel vision in, uh, in my life and in my world, right? We get focused on what I need and how I should do it and, and what, what affects me and my family and my situation. I don't necessarily uh, clue in on uh, others and, and their needs, and, and I need to constantly be reminding myself that life isn't just about me and mine, right? Jesus wasn't looking at himself and his needs. He saw the crowds because he was looking to the crowds, He also saw the crowds because he was actually in the crowds. On the one hand, people today, even uh, uh, Christians today, uh, get criticized for being too busy, right? We we get too busy and and we get caught up in so many activities and and so we're doing our stuff and so we don't see the crowds and and we're not with them because we're doing our own stuff and and we get busy with with, uh, uh, things that aren't necessarily uh, bad but they're not spiritual and and, and so we we preachers can preach on that uh, all day long. On the other hand, I think there are also Christians today who are so involved in meeting their own spiritual needs and staying safe in the holy huddle, so to speak, that they don't ever see the crowds either because they're never in the crowds. Uh, our, our mission as a church is, you're, you're playing along, maybe we can, we can do it again. Our mission as a church is those of you that didn't know that, it's printed right there on the bulletin, and we try to say it most, uh, most weeks. Uh, we live to love people to life, it's, it, and, and as we do that, one of the co- our core values uh, is that, that we uh, believe in investment in relationships. And, and so that's important in the church. We want to invest in, in relationships, get to know each other, and, and, and all this, build relationships with each other, and that's great, but it's not just about our relationships with each other, but also about building relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus. It's, it's pretty hard to love someone and share your life with them if you're not uh, spending time with them and building a relationship. A lot of things can take up our, our time and focus, and keep us from building relationships with the crowds like Jesus did. One thing could very well be church stuff. Can't believe the preacher's saying this, but here we go. Some people spend so much time in church that they never get out and meet anybody else's spiritual needs. I mean, if you're in three or four Bible studies a week and you're not seeing the crowds and meeting the needs of the people, maybe... Maybe the most spiritual thing you could do is quit a Bible study. Wow, did I just say that? Did I just say that? Around here at, uh, at Medina Naz, we intentionally try not to have too many meetings and events and programs on the calendar. Of course, we go through seasons and some are busier than others, but we, we try to limit those, not because we're lazy, but because it's it's not because we've uh, we we don't want the worldly influences of the crowds to get in and it's it, it we've tried to keep our ministry schedule simple in order to free up time in the week for you to build relationships with the people that you know that still need Jesus and if you're at church five nights a week you don't have time to make those connections and so we've tried to keep things more streamlined. You won't truly see people and what they need and how you can influence them spiritually if you're not with them, if you're not looking for ways to connect with them and to help them to connect with God. Jesus saw the crowds because he was looking and because he was with the crowds, and then because he saw them and was with them, he responded with compassion. 
Compassion. The, uh, the, the Greek word used here is a good one. Uh, the, the word for compassion. And I'm not going to say it right, but I'm going to try. Uh, Splachnitzamai. I mean, that's just fun to say and fun to try anyway. Splachnitzamai. It means moved with love and compassion. It's based on the Greek noun splachna, which kind of sounds like Star Wars or Star Trek or something. But uh, uh, it, it actually is the Greek word that means internal organs, intestines, or bowels. And then we just took a turn, didn't we? Sounds a little weird, but back in Jesus' day, human emotions were thought to be rooted in the gut. We, we, we see the heart now, right? But, but back then it was the gut. If you really wanted to make an impression on someone, you could send them a card at Valentine's Day that says, I love you with all of my intestines. Okay? I mean, I heard M- Mark Lowry, comedian Mark Lowry one time say that, that uh, this gives new meaning to taking your girlfriend in your arms, looking her in the eye and saying, baby, you move me. So that's the background when Matthew says that Jesus had splachnitzamai on the people in the crowds that he saw, that he was with, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He was moved to action. He was moved with love and a desire to do something to help. Jesus wasn't moved primarily because of the people's physical needs. I mean, he, he healed them, but, but his heart was stirred when he saw that they were living without a purpose. They were, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't have anyone to guide them to an abundant life. On their own, without anyone or anything as a guide, people can wander into all sorts of things. There are so many things that have, have consequences that can be avoided if we just follow the Spirit instead of going our own way. But without the Spirit, we can get in all sorts of trouble. It moved Jesus to compassion because he saw that, th- that things could be so much better in, in people's lives. So I have to ask myself, well, what moves me to compassion? What moves you to compassion? Uh, uh, we, we all have things that tug at our heartstrings, I think. For some of you, it's, it's maybe animals. You've got, you've got uh, uh, dogs and cats and squirrels and I don't know what all. Uh, maybe, you know, you hear three notes of Sarah McLaughlin singing Angel at three o'clock in the morning and you're pulling out your wallet and, or, no, you're, you're Venmoing whatever you want to, uh, to support, make a donation. I mean, those furry faces just melt your heart. And, and you do anything to help. You're moved. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's your kids, your family. You'll, you'll go to the ends of the earth to meet the needs of your family. You, you'll show compassion when a family member is in need. I, uh, the saying, what, what is it? You, you do for family, right? We're moved. By, for my dad, it was Hallmark commercials. He was moved by those. He was a very sensitive soul, and, uh, and he was moved by, uh, by acts of kindness. So, so when you'd be watching the, uh, 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 the, the Hallmark movie, and they'd break to a commercial, and they'd show that woman uh, who gave a card to her retiring professor, and he thought everybody had forgotten about him, and he was going, and then, and the card, and the, and the, it was, just, it was, it was weeping. It was just uncontrolled weeping. Or, or the lady handed that undeserved card to her crusty old uncle in the nursing home, and, and, uh, yeah, he got a, oh, yeah, I mean, it was just, the, the kid comes home from school and the teacher had sent a card and the mom and the, oh, 
I mean, my dad was just a wreck. I mean, we, we, were, <laughs> we were mercilessly making fun of him for, for this. And now, now I am exactly like him. So that's, um, there are things that we're moved by, right? Certain things that, that get our heart strings or our intestinal strings, I guess we could still there. Jesus was moved when he saw people wandering through life, following along wherever sin would take them, and he knew that they were missing out on an abundant life that they could have with him. Does that move you to compassion? Jesus had compassion on the crowds because he knew that it didn't have to be that way. He had the good news. He was the good news. Jesus saw the potential harvest. So many times I see someone who's messed up or aimless and they seem hopeless or helpless and instead of compassion, I'm moved by judgment a lot of times, right? I see problems that they've gotten themselves into or, or systemic issues that I certainly can't do anything about so I might as well not even try and, and so I get cynical or judgmental probably the only one. Jesus saw the harvest. And he's, he's growing you and ripening fruit in your life in order for that harvest to become a reality in the lives of the people around you. A key reason that God is maturing you is so that you will reproduce for his kingdom. Jesus tells us to pray here for workers in the harvest field. Pray that God will send just the right person with just the right fruit, ripening at just the right time to intersect aimless people with the word of God and plant it into the the soil of their hearts. And that person with just the right fruit at just the right time that God sends may very well be you. And that might seem overwhelming, but remember, the results are not up to you. It's, it's not your seed, it's God's. It, Jesus says it this way, that, that, that God is the Lord of the harvest. It's not Pete's harvest, it's not your harvest, it's God's harvest. This is his world, these are his harvest fields, it's his word that is the seed, it's his spirit that we are following. He planted us, he's growing us, he's developing his fruit in us, and he wants to use us to help reproduce that process in the lives of the people around us. So, do you see the crowd? Are you looking? Are you with them? When you do, are you moved to compassion? Can you envision a harvest in their lives? Pray for God to reveal where he wants you to plant his seed this week.